and if you think about it logically what we're seeing everything should be going towards more order yet we learn in high school physics and chemistry classes of entropy that everything is actually moves towards disorder yeah and with the teens the example i gave was their bedrooms like you can clean your bedroom and in a matter of minutes what starts happening stuff starts getting out of place and out of like that you have chaos in your own world that just leads towards disorder there welcome back to the no greater joy podcast brought to you by the pastors here at grace baptist church in beautiful westlake ohio because we want for our people what jesus wants for his people and that's to know greater joy by stepping into the areas that bring no greater joy for god's people being 24 7 worshipers being a go person and an alongsider i am pastor steve strong lead pastor here at grace right across the table from me is ryan atkins i'm the associate pastor here at grace and a good one at that and a huge help to or big thanks to our tech guru dan craniak member here at grace producer for this podcast and uh quite frankly just making this thing work so we appreciate his his service and effort and so what we want to try to do in this episode and Again, these podcasts are just our attempt to try to continue to equip our people um, with, uh, I think, pertinent, relevant, not just information, but hopefully motivation and encouragement. Mm-hmm. And so really want to talk about, and I guess this would fit underneath the 24-7 worshipers um, category, but want to talk about theology proper. In fact, I think we're probably going to take the next, oh, six or so episodes and just talk about theology proper, which basically is the study of who is God. Um, Who is he? What is he like? What does he do? Um, And so this this current episode, one to just simply ask the question, does God exist? And, you know, why is perhaps is this important? Why are we going through this? And then over the next few episodes, we'll answer questions such as, how does he exist? What is his nature? Um, What are his attributes? We'll probably take two episodes on that one. We'll talk about the names of God. We will talk about the Trinity. And then we'll talk about the plan of God. And, uh, you know, so what what does that plan incorporate and how does that impact us? Um, But, Ryan, why are we doing this, man? Why... So like you said, theology, just that idea of, you know, discussing God, knowing about God, um, zeroing in this, in these next few episodes, really looking at theology proper. So just the doctrine of God himself. Uh, But what came to mind when we were thinking about this question was just the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the question of what is the chief end of man Mm -hmm. and the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how do we enjoy him forever if we don't know him? How do we glorify him if we don't know him? And then my mind ran to first Corinthians 10 where Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we can only do, you know, to the glory of God and enjoy him through knowing him. And so I think that's the the main reason uh, we should be talking about this and thinking about this and, really standing on these foundational truths uh, of our faith. Yeah. I think as I was thinking about this, hearing you talk even just there, I was, <clears throat> you think about what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount 
how he kind of brings that to a close. But it's almost one of those scariest verses, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. in Scripture, where he just says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, Jesus says, I never, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I think that should just kind of raise our eyebrows, catch our attention, <clears throat> this idea of, well, Jesus, what was his concern was not things that were done in his name. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't know you. Yeah. And they missed it. And it's the sad reality even of uh, the Israelites. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeremiah 9, is, we, won't, we won't take time to read it, but is kind of highlights the sad reality for God's people during his ministry. Three times in, in Jeremiah chapter 9, he highlights, number one, that they didn't know God. Like, and you think of all, they had all the prophets, they had Moses, they had the patriarchs, their fathers, they had the temple. Mm-hmm. They probably knew about God, but they didn't know him. Not only that, he says in verse 6, that they refused to know him. Mm-hmm. And the remedy really is to know me. I think at the end of Jeremiah chapter 9, he's like, let the person who boasts, boast in this, that they understand and know me. Mm-hmm. Um, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, writes this, that little quote here. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. And I think that's what you were highlighting mm-hmm. earlier. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, there's no greater object of our attention and understanding. And you think about all the all the things that our people are trying to understand, how many YouTube videos they're watching, trying to figure out what's required of them. They're trying to know things, um, and we don't want for our people to be like the Israelites mm-hmm. and either not know God, refuse to know him, because the, we want their greatest boast to be, I know God. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. I think also a concern that before we walk into this, it's going to be very easy to, <clears throat> you know, we don't want to bore our people. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is not a textbook episode. <laughs> and I think the sad reality is... Um, Sin has made God a textbook God. Yeah. I was thinking about this. You know, because Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they were with him. Sin happens, and they're separated. And salvation is a restoration of being with. Hmm. You know, and it's almost like what happened was they were there and, you know, any of the, the great national parks here in the U.S. or the Grand Canyon, what sin has done is just put people in the classroom and said, here's a book about the Grand Canyon. Yeah. You know, but in the Garden of Eden, 
like they were in the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. the Grand Canyon of who God is. Like they were there experiencing, experiencing and learning, you know. And so in some way, because of sin, we have initially a textbook about God. But that textbook should drive us literally to the Grand Canyon, Yeah, you know. And I think that's our hope, walking through these, mm-hmm. all these different points about, all right, who is God? Does he exist? How does he exist? What are his names, his attributes? You know, on some level there is, but I think our hope is that as they're hearing us talk about these things, that it's driving them not just to know about, but to know him and yeah. to experience. You know, we want our people to experience, not just to know about his holiness, but to experience mm-hmm. his holiness, not just to know about his goodness or his forgiveness, but to experience and uh, and to truly know those things. So, yeah, to have the joy of knowing the God of the Bible. Absolutely. Creator of the universe. Yep. Like that, yeah, that should be a desire we all have. A- absolutely. So, so first of all, I guess, is just that basic, that first question that we want to talk about is, does God exist? And can we be confident that he does exist? Are there reasons? Is there is that a reasonable position to hold? Then, of course, we're going to answer that in the affirmative. And so, really, for the rest of the episode here, we just want to talk about what are those arguments? You know, we live in a culture that is growing more and more, you know, you're foolish for believing in God. Um, well, I think it's quite the opposite. You're foolish not believing in God <laughs> because there are sufficient uh, reasons for the existence of God. So we just want to talk about three of them, uh, the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, and the moral argument. And so big words, you're probably driving and you can't write them down, but that's okay. We'll try to simplify them. And so I guess the first one here is the cosmological argument. And really this is just the argument that is, I guess, simply put the cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And so um, the world that we live in, something can't come from nothing. All right? And so we live in a in a world that is contingent in the sense that something is needed on the outside to get it going. Mm-hmm. So even the laws that we have, you know, an object at rest will stay at rest. An object in motion will stay in motion. Mm-hmm. And so if something is in motion, something has set it in motion. And so, so that's why, I guess the simplest way is just cause and effect. And so the interesting part of this argument is that you can't have an infinite cause and effect. Mm-hmm. You can't have, you know, cause, effect, cause, effect in infinity eternally in both directions or whatever. Because, number one, we wouldn't have today. Right. You know, so think about, you know, we got books on our shelves. You can order your books, one, two, three, four, et cetera, all the way down to however many you have. And you can order our days in a similar way. And so we know we are on day such and such because there was a day one. Yeah. And because you can't just have an infinite number of days, otherwise there's no present. Mm-hmm. We won't even have a day today. Um, and so what that argument is saying, you look at your world, there's cause and effect. 
Um, nothing comes from nothing. You can't have something that comes from nothing. Um, you can't have movement without a mover. And so what's required is there's got to be an uncaused cause. Yeah. There's something that has to exist that isn't contingent in order to, to set things in motion. So I agree. Amen. <laughs> All right. No, you, you covered pretty much everything I was going to add to that piece. And, and like the, just the idea that you can't have something coming from nothing, let alone everything let coming alone from everything. nothing. That's, you know, right. that's like, it takes it almost to that infinite level of, it's not just, you can't have everything coming from nothing. Yep. It has to have that. And as I was looking at one of the phrases that a, a theologian was using was an unmoved mover yep. referring to God. And I was like, I, I like that he's an unmoved mover. Like, yep. And he started that. So uh, the second argument we can look at and talk about is the uh, teleological argument. Uh, and this is to dumb it down to two words. It's the idea, like the argument from design. Yep. And so this argument really holds that like all the complexity that we see, all the order we see, the design, the purpose, the intelligence that we see in the universe is the result of an intelligent and purposeful designer. Um, some people will call this like the wristwatch. You know, you look down at your wrist, you see a watch. You don't go, wow, this just appeared. Like you see the watch and you think somebody designed this and engineered this and that's what makes the, the watch go. Um, and if you really think about it, the world everywhere evidences intelligence, purpose, harmony, and there's no way for that to happen uh, without some kind of master architect. Uh, and you think about just our position here on Earth, our perfect distance from the sun to sustain life, the perfect distance of the moon from the Earth so that the tides are appropriate, um, just the beauty of the tilt of the Earth providing seasons, the magnetic field of the Earth allowing us to know our way around, and just all these different various laws that allow us to survive and exist, like gravity, uh, all of these things, to think that all this order and design uh, came out of chaos uh, is is foolishness. And like two of my favorite examples, um, that idea of chaos producing order would be the analogy of a monkey playing with a typewriter and producing a Shakespearean play yep. and an explosion <laughs> at a book factory producing a dictionary. So the f factory explodes and what, what they find when they sift through the rubble is out of the explosion came a perfect dictionary. And so it just really is kind of um, foolish to, to think that a, a world that is so organized could come from chaos by chance. Yep. I think this is a powerful argument. I think it really highlights, in my estimation, you do look at the purposeful order and design of things, um, I think it's powerful in a couple ways. One, it's absolutely consistent with how we naturally think and mm -hmm. respond. You know, you look at a new home, you look at a new car, and you don't praise all the parts of the car, you praise the manufacturer of the car, you know, yeah. the engineers, the engineering that's involved. So you praise the engineers, you know, we give awards for <laughs> clothes designers and mm -hmm. building design, you know, all these kinds of things. We don't praise the actual building mm -hmm. and we praise the one who designed it 
like it's all over our world. Yeah. Yet when it comes to the origin of things, I I think it's more rooted in a disposition of I refuse to say that there's a God. Yeah, there's a hardness of heart. There is a hardness of heart, and I think this this argument of design and purposeful order really really kind of highlights that. It's very it, it, if you're going to say like you did, the random chance brings order, mm-hmm. but we you can't be consistent with that. No, and live your life. It's just it's a totally inconsistent. And if you think about it logically what we're seeing everything should be going towards more order yet we learn in high school physics and chemistry classes of entropy that everything is actually moves towards disorder yep and with the teens the example i gave was their bedrooms like you can clean your bedroom and in a matter of minutes what starts happening stuff starts getting out of place and out of like that you have chaos in your own world that just leads towards disorder And to to really think that again chaos could be produced chaos could produce this sense of order, I'd argue there's more faith in that that you have to hold more faith in that than saying that there's a designer and that's how we got to where we yeah. are. Well, you, I was even I forget where I saw this. Of course, probably flipping through or news or something. How you know we're probably rabbit trailing too far on this, but sorry. Um, scientists are looking for life on other planets. And in order for there to be life on other planets, there has to be certain conditions, yep. you know? And so they recognize, okay, there has to be certain conditions for life. Well, go, like, those conditions don't naturally fall into place. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, teleological, I think that's, yep. I think it's a powerful one. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, to kind of add on to that watch idea, it would be the difference of, like walking down a path and seeing a rock next to a watch and you immediately see the difference. Yes. You don't look at a, yeah. a rock and say, oh, this was put together for a purpose. Whereas you look at a watch mm. and you see this was put together for a purpose. I see the parts that are organized in a certain way, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so let's keep moving here. There's a third argument, and it's called the moral argument. And if you're familiar with... Uh, C.S. Lewis, this is one that he really develops quite a bit in his book, Mere Christianity. Um, But really, the moral argument is recognizing a a universal, not to be redundant, morality, a universal Mm -hmm. sense of right and wrong, a universal um, sense that I ought to be doing something Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't be doing something. The opposite. Um, it really kind of highlights, and again, you're looking at your your world as it is, and you are seeing cultures that are distinct and separate from others, and there is there has always been a sense of this is what's right, and this is what's wrong, mm-hmm. and. And there is often a consistency in terms of things like selfishness and lying and killing and murder. Um, there is a there's a natural bent toward morality, and the the moral argument is really just 
highlighting that that morality comes from a higher moral being. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, and it's interesting as I, you think about, well, the argument will be, well, cultures, morality is a cultural thing. So there's not an absolute morality across all of them, but it's developed and determined depending on what culture you're in. And we could, you know, we could go there and argue, well, no, you know, there's absolute morality. It's not culturally determined. But then this, what I think this is highlighting for us is that why is it that cultures want to determine morality mm-hmm. to begin with and and have these standards of standards of right and wrong? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, the the phrase that came to my mind was ethical foundations. Yeah. One thing, just the foundation, like, like you said, we all have that idea of a sense of reward or punishment, a fear of death and punishment, a desire for justice. I think we see that a lot in our world today. Now there's varying degrees of what that justice word means to people, but Mm -hmm. there is a desire for it. But the Um, fact that it's there. Yes. That desire points Mm -hmm. to something. And, you know, we we have an immaterial aspect to ourselves. We're not just material. And so these consciences, these uh, emotions and our intellect and all these things that that lead to morality and, like, lead to these thoughts of morality. Like, I don't think the dog is worried about whether right or wrong other than just punishment. Yeah. You know, oh, food, no food. Okay, that's it. You know, that's very biological. But to think that all of these thoughts – biologically just appeared when, you know, in, in the process of evolution, now we have this immaterial ability and, and recognition of moral standards. Like you can't attribute that to an evolutionary process. It's got to come from something that, and someone who is a moral being who is placing that within us. Because even the evolutionary process isn't fair. Right. And in, in the, <clears throat> the kind of fairness and equality that is being so pursued today mm-hmm. in groups that are marginalized in minorities, etc. That would be a weakness in the evolutionary process. That's actually the crux of the evolutionary process yeah. in terms of weakness and inequality because it's the strong that survive. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah. yeah, a classic example, you don't believe in, you know, it could be absolute morality or right, wrong, would be the professor that just determined, all right, all of my students today are getting an F. Hmm. Well, how do you respond to that? No, that's not right. Mm-hmm. That's not, well, where does that sense come from? Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Yep. So I think three strong arguments. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's no like important we talk just for a minute about kind of how these arguments are helpful, yep. uh, which I think we've kind of dabbled with and then but also how are they insufficient so helpful um i think they provide us with a means to approach gospel conversations with individuals who do not believe Mm -hmm. especially um those who come from the science the sciences or, or logic and like they they rely upon science logic and reasoning well these arguments are relying upon science logic and reasoning in order to make their their case yep and so understanding them, I think, helps with that. Um, I just think it becomes a way to open the door with accessibility for those conversations. Um, and it's 
it just is a it's a great way to call to question another's um, kind of beliefs and to do so in a way that doesn't just well I think you're wrong yeah but really kind of um, the analogy I use like is pulling a rope versus trying to push a rope yeah you can draw them towards the truth um, and yep. open the door they do a good job paving yes. maybe the way mm-hmm. um, and but, I think go ahead go, no you finish yeah no 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 it um, and when used together, and there's other ways, other apologetic methods and that mm-hmm. that we're not talking about. That's not the point of this. And more arguments that we are. And more, that's right. <clears throat> but these three are very, very strong. And there can be, there's a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. And you can wrap your mind around these. That's right. And pretty. you experience these. Yep. You know, this is everyday life and uh, that are pointing toward the existence of God. Um, but they, they pave the way, I think, toward faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and it provides, and I think it's also an encouragement to God's people that there is, there's a reasonableness to our belief in God, mm-hmm. that it is not, there, it's not illogical. It's not unfounded. Right. It's not a blind faith. No, not at all. It's a very substantiated faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and while these, okay, so these arguments can be helpful, but they're also like, there's an insufficiency to them yeah. in that they're based on man's logic and reason, which is affected by sin. Um, they don't necessarily point to the God of the Bible. Yep. I think that's an important point mm-hmm. is none of these arguments necessitate the God of the Bible. Correct. All of these arguments can be used for any of the monotheistic religions for Islam for, or even pagan polytheistic. I was to say, would you limit it to, I would. Yeah, yeah, no, it could even be, you know, the impersonal pantheistic. Uh, it, it just opens the door for any mm-hmm. branch of theism. Yeah. I suppose. Spirituality. If That's you will. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and then that these, kind of coming off that it's based on our logic and reason, but it's also based on general revelation, uh, which again, can our understanding of can be affected by our own sin and by our own hardness of heart. Like you were saying earlier with, they don't just not believe they refuse to believe there's an Mm -hmm. active um, opposition. Um, But really these arguments, they don't confront our need as sinners. Yep. And so, um, like when I use the word like general revelation, that's God's witnessing of himself through creation, um, that creation itself was created as a testament to a higher power. Um, we have consciences, which we talked about, this inherent knowledge of right and wrong. Uh, we have, and also just common grace or providential history that we've experienced. There's grace and certain things that has been provided to everyone everywhere that we get to experience um, whether we are saved or not, think the rain that's sent on both the good and the sinners uh, in scripture. And um, yeah, it just, there's, there's different aspects of general revelation that we can see that there is a God, but again, doesn't necessarily point to the God we call father. Uh, But then through special revelation, now we can really get into sufficient ways that we can know him. And that's through direct acts as revealed in scripture, dreams and visions revealed in scripture, Jesus's incarnation 
is a is a big way we see who God is. That you know, in Colossians one, Paul writes that He is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews one, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint, exact imprint of His nature. Um, and then ultimately, the tool and, and way that we have today to know God through special revelation is His Word, and to not for us see it as um, you know, a right to have his word, but really it is a gift that he has given uh, to us that we can know him uh, and we can trust the word we have to know him. And so we can use the word to know him, uh, I used the word earlier, sufficiently um, because we can know God sufficiently, but we can't know him comprehensively. We can't know him exhaustively. And that's because we're limited by our finiteness um, because you can't know everything about God's love without knowing everything about every other attribute of God, which we'll get to in a couple episodes, um, because we are limited uh, in our minds. And uh, But we can know him through his word. Uh, through, we can know his nature. We can know his attributes. And we can know him sufficiently to see our position before him, to see our need for a savior, and to see uh, how he sent Christ, his son, to uh, reconcile this broken relationship we have as a result of the fall. Yep. And you can really see all of what you just said there. You know, you have these arguments for God's existence. Like, they only go so far. There's yep. so much more. And I think really um, it, it there's a reasonableness. I think you can have confidence. All right, a God exists. Mm-hmm. And those arguments also kind of highlight that, all right, then this God must be bigger. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he's greater than I am. So if God exists and he's greater than I am, then it really, I love this word, behooves us hmm. to find out, okay, if he's greater and bigger and he made me, then it really behooves us to find out, okay, well, who is he? Mm-hmm. What does it require of me? And how do I please him? And then we can be thankful that this creator, this uncaused causer, this unmoved mover, this great designer, purpose giver, has said, hey, there's who I am. Mm-hmm. And he's given us scripture. And you can be in a relationship with me. That's right. This is how you can be right with me. Yep. I almost started going in the next episode just now. Yep, can't go there. <laughs> so I think we want to want to finish with Psalm 19, right? Yep. So go ahead and you can read that. All right, so Psalm 19. David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The way that finishes is the way we want to finish. Light of the existence of our God, let the words of our heart, let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable. Amen. Amen. Until the next episode, God bless.